Coming in once again to John chapter 9, the first seven verses, though today we'll just be looking at verses 4 through 7, as we had, uh, had done a little bit of a deep dive in verses 1 through 3 last week. We'll, we won't be, uh, we'll move a little quicker here uh, through these verses this morning. But John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. I do want to read all seven verses to keep them within the context. John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, and God's Word reads, As he, Jesus, passed by, he saw a man born blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? And Jesus answered and said to him, and said that this, neither this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied it, applied the clay to his eyes, the blind man's eyes, and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he, the blind man, went away, washed, and came back seeing. Lord, we just ask a blessing upon the reading of your word this morning. And now as we spend a few moments here this morning looking into this text, Father, would your spirit illuminate this text for us that we not only understand it, uh, but we know how to apply it. So before we can apply it correctly, we must understand it. So would you would you help us out here this morning? Would you help me this morning? I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. I've titled this Night is Coming, a pretty obvious title, I guess, and you can certainly see where I get that title from. Night is Coming as opposed to the light. All through the Gospel of John and really the life of Jesus, he often talked about uh, the God or the light, being the light of the world and that the light of the world is coming. John started out his gospel in that way, in fact, and said the light is coming into the world to illuminate the world or to illuminate the life of everyone. In our text here today, which we will not spend much time on verse five, but I do want to point it out to you and highlight it for you this morning. And it says that while I am in the world, speaking of Jesus, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And just to trace this theme, just briefly throughout the Gospel of John itself, I want to also read for you this morning, John chapter 12, verse 46, where Jesus said something very similar in that same vein. I have come as light into the world. And so that, I love the so that, so that's as you know, if you're, if you're following along in the NASB, they often translate as so that. And it just tells us what's coming next, right? And so what, what he's saying here is so that, so I have come as light into the world, so that, this is why I've come, that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. Now chapter 12 started out, uh, with, with, with the continuing that same theme. So over and over and over, we find it through the Gospel of John. And in verse 35 of the 12th chapter, so Jesus said to them, for a little while, for a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in him, so that you may become sons of light. 
Three times in these two verse and a half, really, it is telling us a while. It is giving us the sense that this light will not always be among us, that this light will not always be before us. And so it's implying and it's telling us that there'll be a time where this light is removed from the world. Therefore, if I can put my own application in that, then we should be paying attention, right? We should be using, if we can say that, using this light while it is available to us. And as Jesus was talking to His first disciples, those who first heard Jesus speak this, Jesus was literally among them. Literally walking among them. I mean, literally this light, this physical light was there before them. We, as Jesus left, has given us His Spirit to illuminate. I often will like to say that. One of the main functions of the, the Holy Spirit is to illuminate the text for us. Not because in that we find our salvation, but in that it points us to the light, right? I mean, there's so much of this importance is put on to this light. And it gives us a sense that the time is coming when this light will be removed. And sometimes, as we, as we consider the life and the world around us and all the things that are happening, we certainly see the effects of that, do we not? That the light seems to have been removed as evil seems to, to rise up, even in the midst of, of good, we see this overwhelming evil in the world. I mean, what is up with that? Where is that, where is that coming from? Yes, it's pent up frustrations. And yes, we have these things that we're wrestling with and all these unknowns. And, 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 and is school going to start in the fall? I mean, I can't imagine uh, having little children in school right now and working parents that are, are, are wondering that very question and the, and the uncertainties and the frustrations that come with that. We see the race riots that, that had started from something really good and have soon taken a bad turn to where it's just frustration and evil that rises its head. And so sometimes we miss the light even in the midst of that evil because we focus in upon that evil. And for, so this morning, I want us to remember that as we consider uh, this text here before us. Um, often throughout the biblical text, I will say uh, most of the time, I can't say all the time because I did not follow this theme throughout the biblical text, but when it's a, when, when conversation or when a statement is made that darkness has been removed or night is coming, it often refers to death. It refers to end of life. And of course, being on this side of the cross, as we look at the totality of Jesus' life upon this earth, we can see that He was certainly foretelling or foreshadowing of what was to come, where He was going to uh, die, where He was going to be crucified, where He was going to be killed, yes, because of a state that came down upon Him and could not allow this rubble to exist, but ultimately it was for you and for I. At the root of that, Jesus died for you and for I, right? That is at, at the root of it. So Jesus is saying here, night is coming. Night is coming, and, and, and again, as I get on my little stump here, maybe this morning is not where I was going to go, but, uh, but, but as we think about these, this, this moment and this time that we're in, and people talk about, and, and of course, eschatology uh, really comes, comes to mind as end time things, right? So eschatology, end time things, as end time things. 
More specifically, end of the world and apocalyptic literature, especially Revelation, comes to mind. And that's all apocalyptic means is revealed. And so we think, wow, okay, there's going to be a time where the church is going to be snatched out of the world and evil is going to be, be, be rise up among us. And that's not at all what Revelation is telling us. Revelation is telling us that us as followers, us as believers, even though the evil seems like it's gone or the light is gone from the world, we must overcome. We must stay strong. God has created men and women just like you to stand strong in the midst of a world where it seems as though the light is gone, right? We then are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, as Jesus says, right? And so let's get back on track. <laughs> um, yeah, that's... Uh, I think that's a good point, is it not? We are the light of the world. And if there's ever time the world needs a light, it is now. It is now. And I, I, as I continue to ramble, I'll just confess and I'll continue to ramble. I mean, I often am not the light, am I? You don't have to say yes. <laughs> you don't have to agree with that. But man, I need to check my attitude sometimes, right? People just annoy me at times. Do they ever annoy you? Don't answer that. It's like, Wow. Yeah, this is not in my notes, by the way. But nonetheless, church is also a place of confession. So I'll pray for you, you pray for me, that we can be the light of the world <laughs> in the midst of what seems to be a light is gone. Seems to be a light is gone. You know, when I was still doing construction, um, maybe the only thing I knew how to do well, but, um, you know, uh, I often used to say, I don't care what time of the year it was. I mean, it could be April, it could be May, it could be June, it could be 100 degrees outside in August. And I said it over and over and over and over again, winter is coming, winter is coming, winter is coming, over and over and over again in Northeast Ohio, winters were coming. And winters were difficult in construction. And when you're cranking out one to two houses every single week, 52 weeks out of the year, there was nonstop, and you got to get everything done you could possibly could while the summer was there. And so they always said that winter is coming. They used to get my son, they used to get frustrated. Oh, they used to laugh at me, but it was so true. And I always kept that before my mind. It kept me focused. And as some of you know very well, if I'm not focused, boy, I, I don't know what you're going to get. The more focused I am, the better I am at what I am doing. And so I always kept that focused. Winter is coming. I guess what I'm trying to say is night is coming, right? Night is coming. Let us stay focused. Let us not get tripped up, bogged down in, in, in some of the whatever you enjoy life with. And it's not that we should not enjoy this world. God has placed us on purpose for a purpose right where we are. But let us remember night is coming, right? Night is coming. Night is coming. And so in our text here this morning, um, Jesus performed miracles, and John calls them them signs. Same thing. It's a tested, attesting miracles or miracles that prove a point. And so John calls them signs, but in order to meet human needs, Jesus also used these signs as a launching pad, as a way of passing on spiritual truths. So sometimes we can get so fixated upon the sign and the miracle that we can easy. It can be easy for us to miss what Jesus wants to teach us, like we'll see here this morning. And so Jesus' signs were his credentials, right? 
if he was to prove that he is, in fact, the Messiah. And when John the Baptist found himself in prison, and John told some of his disciples, hey, go and ask Jesus, are you the one, are you the Messiah we're expecting, or should there be someone else we're looking for? And I often wondered, it's like, Jesus, the man asked you a point-blank question. Would have it hurt you to just give him a yes or no answer, right? But he said, no, it's not what Jesus did, and Jesus seems to have worked in that way. But Jesus said, well, you go tell John. You go tell John that the blind receive sight and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the death here. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Now, from where I stand in this position, that does not seem like a yes or no answer. But for John, who was the last of the prophets, and as he came along, and he was, he, he, he was, he was the last of the Old Testament prophets, and as he came along, this is exactly what he was expecting for and what he was looking for in the Messiah. That's why Jesus told him that. Jesus didn't just say yes. Jesus said, he could have. But no, he said, this is why. This is the so that. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the death here. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. This is the purpose of our gospel writer. Why John records these events for us. So that we may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life in His name. John chapter 20. That's the what? And the why. The what and the why, there it is. So if this is what we believe, if this is truly what you say you believe, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in Him, we may have life in His name, and then we have responsibility, do we not? We have work to do, do we not? Night is coming. We have work to do. I want to just uh, briefly look at verses 1, 2, and 3 again from last week. And it told us that, um, verse 1, I had said that it was the blindness of the human condition. It was the blindness of the human condition. This man was born blind. He didn't become blind. Nothing happened in this life to cause him to be born blind. He was blind from birth. He never did see. That is the human condition. We do not see. Someone must open our eyes, open our minds, open our hearts. And we see that this is the human condition that we are all born without this light. Verse 2 was the cause of the human condition. And the disciples gave Jesus two options. Isn't that what you and I also like to do? Right? Okay, Jesus, either this man was born blind because his parents have sinned, or he himself has sinned. Which is it? Right? Isn't that often what we want to do? Okay, Jesus, these are the two options. Am I supposed to marry this person or not? Those are the options. Am I supposed to take this job or not? Right? Whatever it may, whatever it may be. Am I supposed to eat a bowl of Fruit Loops or should I have an egg instead? Right? I mean, this is what we want to put before God. These are the options, God. Would you please tell us yes or no? It's exactly what the disciples were Jesus were doing. Their mind was made up. This man was born blind because he is a sinner. And somebody caused that sin in his life. It was either him or his parents. And then Jesus in verse 3 gives us the purpose of the human condition and says that no, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but it was that the works of God may be manifested, may be revealed in his life. 
This man was born blind so God could get glory from this man's blindness. And that's hard, is it not? That is difficult, is it not? I don't want to think that way, and neither do you. But as I spent enough time in that last week, and we traced that through the biblical text, time and time and time again, we are told, either we believe it or we don't, but we are told that much of the condition that we're born with or into is so that we can, so that God can receive the glory from it. it depends upon our, our view, highness, if you will, of God. So we too have been invited into this work that Jesus is doing. That Jesus is doing. Well, I've just got simple two headings or two points here, if you like the word points better, uh, in these couple verses. Uh, the first is the general assignment explained. Verses 4 and 5, we see the general assignment explained. And then in verse 6 and 7, we see the specific assignment given. Specific assignment given. I should have chosen a different word since I have a hard time pronouncing certain words. But nonetheless, <laughs> general assignment explained, specific assignment given, verses 6 and 7. We see the general assignment explained. It's in verse 4. I mean, it's quite clear, is it not? We must work the works of Him who sent me. And I want to stop right there for a moment, and I just want to focus on the first three words, we must work. There is a need to work, is there not? We must work. We have been given a need to work. And especially of us as hardworking American Mennonites, right? We take great pride in hard work, and for good reason. Because God does ask us, may I say, demands work of us. Second Thessalonians 3.10, right? How many times have you heard this verse growing up in a hardworking family, be it on the farm or the construction site or wherever it may be? If anyone is unwilling to work, <laughs> then they shall not eat either. Right? I mean, we know that and we can agree with that. Also, instructions of work is given over and over and over again. <clears throat> in their time, First Timothy, as Paul instructs Timothy, there's people who no longer wanted to work. Especially, specifically, Timothy's talking about widows, but we can include widowers in there also in our context today because it was a little bit of a, a different culture in their time. Right? And he's given instructions for those who find themselves single in regards to work. But that's just a general uh, uh, sense of the word work in our world. But that's not what Jesus necessarily has in mind. And so uh, I also want you to notice we must. See, and, and it's the must that we need to take a little closer look at here this morning. We need to take a little closer at this word uh, must and, and how it is used elsewhere throughout the biblical text, right? Scripture is interpreted with Scripture, so we must look at how else this particular word uh, in Greek is, 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 um, is used. It's not always translated as must into English, but in Luke chapter 2, verse 49, I found this a very interesting verse here. It says, did you not know? When Jesus was just a little guy, <laughs> and he says, did you not know? that I had to be in my father's house as his mom and dad couldn't find him. And so they went back to the temple and there he was and he seemed perplexed. Well, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? There's a translation uh, um, sense that is missed here. There's a sense that, that we lose when we translate it into English. It'd, it'd be better to say, did you not know that I had to be in the things, in the things of my father? 
It's one word, but in English, we've got to add a couple. So in the things of my father, it's not really good English, and so often we don't translate it that way. In fact, none of them do translate it that way. But it gives us a sense that it's not that Jesus is in the father's house. It's not that Jesus says that I had to be in the synagogue. No, he's saying I had to be about my father's business. Maybe the King James does that to it. And so we need to also understand that's what Jesus said. Look, there was work that I've been given to do. And I had, here's translated had, but it's I must be, same word, I must be about in my Father's things. I must do the things that my Father has given me to do. In Luke chapter 4, verse 43, Jesus said, I must. I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. And Jesus is very clear in here, is it not, that I must preach because this is why I came. This is the the responsibility that the Father has given me, that is, to preach. And in Luke chapter 19, verse 5, uh, the wee little guy that climbed up in the tree, what was his name? Yeah, Zacchaeus. Uh, And so he climbs up a tree and Jesus looks up and says, Zacchaeus, you come down today because what? I must go to your house and have your delicious crab cakes today. Right? That's what he says. Well, not the crab cakes. I guess that would have not had crab cakes in that era. Never mind that. Um, but Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. There was a sense of urgency that sometimes in our English doesn't come across. Must, you know, it can almost be sometimes used almost as a, as an over-exaggeration or, or hyperbola in a sense, if you will, that must is used in, in, in a way that doesn't necessarily portray must here as it is in the Greek. So must has a basic meaning of something being necessary. Look, look, it's not just must. This is necessary for life. This is necessary for survival, if you will. We're very familiar with John chapter 3, especially a few of the verses there. In John chapter 3, verse 7, where Jesus says, you must be born again. You must be born again. There's no other way to get into the eternal, or to, to heaven unless you are born again. And we're very familiar with the text, so it doesn't perplex us as much as it did this guy Jesus was speaking to. How is a person born again? You must be surrendered. God must do a work in your life to do it like that also. But Jesus continues and said how that was possible. Verses 14 and 15, As Moses was lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that... Whoever believes will in him have eternal life. So Jesus again was foretelling, foreshadowing of what was to come. That says that even as that snake, even as that serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so too must I be lifted up as Jesus suspends between earth and heaven, hanging upon the cross. Jesus said, I must, because that's way, the only way you can have eternal life. Well, There's a need to work. The second thing in verse 4 I want to draw to your attention is the diversity of work. We see that diversity of work in the words of the works of Him who sent me, Jesus says. Jesus says, we must work. It's singular, goes into plural. So, So we must work the things that He, that the Father has sent me to do. We just look at the life of Jesus. In fact, we, we look at it even a little more narrowly. Uh, if we look at the seven signs of Jesus, where Jesus turned the water into wine, right? Sign number one, turned the water into wine. He used what was available. He took a, 
took, a, took water, turned it into the best wine ever. You wanted him at your wedding, I suppose, but, but nonetheless, he was at that wedding, done that. So he, out of water, he, he, he creates something different. He uses something. He healed the royal official's son, and he wasn't even present. So from a distance, t- distance and, and separation has nothing to do with the work that Jesus has been given to do. He healed the paralytic at Bethesda by asking a silly question. You've been sitting by the pool for 30, 40 years. Seems to me you don't really want to be healed. Do you want to be healed? Jesus asked him. Doesn't wait for him to answer. He just heals him. What's up with that? I don't know. He feeds the 5,000, 5,000 men. So there was women and children there also. So it could be 20,000 people with two loaves. There were five loaves and two fishes. I get that. My dyslexia comes through, and so I don't know if it's two or five. Anyways, it doesn't really matter. What does he do? It's a miracle of multiplication. He takes something absolutely impossible and creates enough food to feed 20,000 people from one meal. He walks on the water. Power over nature. Again, we see a different mode, a different type of work that Jesus done. And then today, he uses Plato right? And heals a man's sight. And in chapter 11, we're going to see that by just words, by just a few words, Jesus is going to restore life to a dead man, to a man who cannot possibly respond except to the words of Jesus. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he says, I'm glad I only baptized Crispus and Gaius. Oh yeah, yeah, I forgot about those other fellows. I guess I did baptize them too. Um, but outside of that, I don't really know who I baptized. Why? Because Christ did not send me to baptize. Christ sent me to preach. To preach. Now, what's my point? My point is that there's a diversity of work. Sometimes we can get caught up and hung up in how you do it, how I do it, and, and I want to do it the way that person does it, and I want to do what that person is doing. No, no, no. There's a diversity of work that God has given us to do and that Jesus is inviting us into to work alongside and with Him. Isn't that the crux of the matter? Isn't that the dilemma that we find ourselves in? Right? I hear it constantly. The question is put to me. I just don't know what God's will is for my life. You know, I don't know really what I'm supposed to do. I would like to really do this or I look what this person has done or had done. What great things. And I look at my life, Pastor James, and and it's just not going to be anything. Right? Because we, we have this idea of grandness according to our human definition when if you look back to verses 1, 2, and 3, why was the man born blind? So God could receive glory. God does not need us in that way to, for our goodness, for our greatness to receive glory. No, we, we, God receives glory when we do what He has created us to do. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, there's just these three three little sentences that I find helpful. That I find helpful. And it is just like, what makes you cry? Right? When you see something. What makes you cry? Because your heart is burdened. What makes you sing? What causes you to sing? What makes you dream? What makes you dream? What makes you cry? Not by hitting your finger with a hammer. Not that type of cry. Hopefully it's just crying that makes you do. But what makes you sing? What makes you dream? Hmm? It's probably, I often call it passion, right? 
And as I tap some of you on the shoulder to volunteer here or there, and as the elders certainly here, is the person that has passion for something, that's the person we need. Now, let me also be quick to say, if there's a role that needs to be filled and done, and maybe you don't have the passion or it doesn't make you cry, maybe it makes you cry because you don't want to do it, <laughs> it still needs done. But in your heart, in your sense, see, we want Jesus, just give me a yes or no. And often we don't get that. What makes you cry? What makes you sing? What makes you dream? If you get nothing else this morning, maybe you could write those three, three statements down that it may be helpful to you. Well, moving along, um, talking about time management, um, it, it, uh, we see it also here in verse 4. Um, we must work the works of Him who sent me as long as it is day. The time is coming where day will be no longer. And just quickly, I'll just give you one cross-reference, and that is Ephesians 5.16. Make the most of your time, right? I mean, what makes you dream? Well, don't just sit on the side of a mountain gazing at your navel all afternoon. We also need to get something done. <laughs> so, so be careful how we use our time. Time management is very important. And, and point four ver, out of verse four would be the end of work. Night is coming. It's coming when no one else can work, Jesus says. Night is coming when no one can work. We must work the works of Him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming. No one can work. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10. The wisest man supposedly in all the earth has recorded these words for us. He says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol where you are going. Now, you need to understand he's not being mean. Solomon, if he's the one who wrote this, he's not being mean. Sheol is not hell or that type of thing. It's the realm of the dead. It's just, it's just the place Place of the dead. And so what, 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 what Solomon is saying, look, look, night is coming. <laughs> right? I mean, there's going to be a time where you can no longer work because you are no longer living upon this earth. And while you are still living, while you still have a breath in, breath in your mouth, make sure what your hands are doing that God has given them to do, do them well. And do them with all your heart. Well, that's the special assignment explained, the general assignment explained. Let's just look at the specific assignment as given in verses 6 and 7. See, if we focus upon the manner, if we focus upon the manner, we're going to miss the message, right? So if we focus upon how something is done or how that person does it or how that person does it, I certainly have no musical talents, none. Now, some of you, Graham, we want to hear you again one, one of these times very soon, have great musical talents. And we want to get, AJ and we want to get the whole praise team back up here because you guys are, you all are great. And, and I tell this to the elders all the time. Aren't you glad that Kenny is now in charge of the music and not me? Hasn't the music improved? Right? Kenny, say amen. Uh, so, right? Because that, right? So, so we, we've been given some assignments. And so uh, that's not my forte. I love music, but even lining it up is like makes me want to cry in not a good way. <laughs> so we can't focus upon the manner. We've got to focus upon the message. And just as another little example uh, in this, not to get in the weeds too far, but think of blindness and this Jesus healing this blind man. This is not the first blind man Jesus healed. And all the methods were different. It's interesting. So Matthew chapter 8, 
Yeah, yeah. No, I'm sorry. Matthew chapter 9, Jesus restored the sight of two men by simply touching their eyes. So, hey, do you believe? I don't know. He didn't give him a chance to answer. He just healed their eyes and said, no, don't tell anybody. But they went and told everybody. Right? And then we see in Mark chapter 8, Jesus restored the sight of another man by spitting into his eyes. How would you like that? I hope he didn't have COVID. Huh, right? I mean, Jesus comes along and blind man, and oh, you can't see? Let me spit in your eyes. First of all, that man couldn't see any trees, or he could just see people as trees. So I, I wish the text would record so Jesus spit in them again. <laughs> but he didn't. He just touched them, and then he could see the people as people were. But two different methods, again, just focusing upon the manner and the methods. And now here in chapter 9, Jesus restored the sight of this blind man by making clay out of his own spit in the dirt and rubbing it in his eyes. And off he went and washed and was healed. So three different occasions where we have healings here in the New Testament by Jesus, restoring the sight of the blind by Jesus, three different methods that we were using. What can we learn from that? Well, first is we can see the restoration, certainly that Jesus can bring Again, if we don't focus on the blindness, but we focus upon the, the event or the message of that, we could certainly see, uh, we could certainly deduce from this that God formed man in, Je in, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7-ish, that God, God formed man from the dust of the ground. So again, was, was God manifesting Himself as the God-man, as the Messiah, as the Christ, as God by, by doing it this way? Don't really know. Well, we can certainly speculate that that could have been done. The clay was, was certainly from the earth, from man. It was earthly from man. We can certainly see the spit coming from, from Jesus. Hopefully it was from His divine spit, not His manly spit, right? I mean, if you wanted to let your imagination run a little bit wild, and that's all we can do because we really don't know. But nonetheless, we can, we can draw from that a little bit. But ultimately, what Jesus was doing was demonstrating His authority over the religious, was He not? what he was doing, again, in his context, where he was doing battle against these legalists, against these fundamentalists, in a negative sense of fun, the word fundamental. As Christians, we certainly should be fundamentalists in a positive sense of the word. But Jesus was battling and fighting against some of these legalistic people. In Leviticus chapter 15, 8, it would tell us that if a man spits on a clean person... This was a real deal, I guess. They had problems with this. But if a man spits on a clean person, he shall wash his clothes and bathe in the water and, and be unclean until evening. I guess it was a problem in Leviticus. And so certainly those legalist, legalistic thinkers would have had this verse in mind. So along comes Jesus and says, I'll show you. I'll spit in the dirt and make some mud, rub it right in your eyes. You're not unclean. You're going to go wash. But when you go wash, you're going to see. Your eyes are opened. Certainly, I think that is an application that would be in the lines of what Jesus was saying here. But also, we can see that it was the restoration. We can also see the irritation. Have you ever had something in your eye? Right? Have you ever had something in your eye? I don't know you have. That's why I wear these big old goggles, because I get some things in my eyes as well, right? But you get something in there, you got to flush it out. It doesn't, how tiny that speck is. You can't even see it. But there it is. Could it be? Could it be that some of the, you know, some of that clay in the eyes of this man was an encouragement for this man? Maybe by choice, maybe not by choice, 
But to go and listen and obey to Jesus? To go and actually wash out his eyes? And so I wonder, again, you know, I'm not trying to do, uh, you know, eisegesis here and reading into the text. I do want to, but could it be sometimes those irritants in our life? It's just God, just Jesus in a way of trying to gently, maybe a little more clay in the eye will do it, to kind of guide us back on track. Could it be? I don't know. Maybe. I would like to, to think that would be the case. But John does make it a point to say that he went and washed in the pool of Siloam. And I find it interesting. John is good for this. And he says, which is translated, sent. Sent. 34 times in the Gospel of John, just in John's Gospel alone, those two words, Jesus saying, sent me. The Father sent me is used. And not to bore you with it, but you know I like details and facts sometimes. But So John chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus says, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. Four times in, in, in John chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8, Jesus uses that word, Father sent me. John chapter 7, the high priestly prayer, Jesus uses it five times. The Father has sent me. But Jesus now adds, as he comes to the end of his ministry on earth, again, as I said early, Jesus invites us to partner with him in the work that needs to be done. In John, in, in John chapter 17, verse 18, Jesus says, as he's praying to his Father, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And after the death and resurrection of Jesus in John chapter 20, verse 21, he says it again. Peace be with you. He's talking to his disciples. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Listen, we have been given an assignment. We have been given an assignment. Don't you know that I'm, spo I'm supposed to be about or in my Father's things, about my Father's work? We have been given an assignment. Let's not get so hung up on the blindness of this man that we miss the application. Night is coming. Night is coming. <laughs> Look around us. It seems like it's coming quickly. We must be doing the works of God. What makes you cry? What makes you sing? What makes you dream? Lord, I thank you for your word and for your message. Father, I can't help but see your sense of humor in it all. What it must have been like to physically walk with you on the earth. And yet as you reminded your disciples that, oh, but I have to go. I must go. Because if I don't, you won't receive the Comforter. You won't receive the Holy Spirit. And so I pray, Lord, as we give some thought to the work that you have given us to do, would your Holy Spirit living within us would illuminate that work for us so that we can be about or in our Father's work. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.